This text is in connection with the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is, uh, Hallowed be your name, or in other words, may your name be praised. And I chose this psalm because it's an example of one of many such psalms that are filled with the call to praise the Lord. In fact, you look around at the psalms right before it, the psalms right after it, and how often there is that refrain, praise the Lord. So we'll read of that in Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. From the Lord, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people. Praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Praise the Lord. So far from Psalm 148, let's also turn to the New Testament to Matthew chapter 6. We've been dropping into Matthew 6 and 7 a number of times in our study of the Lord's Prayer, and we'll just look at a few verses from Matthew 6 again this afternoon. Uh, Here, the focus is, uh, the, the text itself is the Lord's Prayer, and we want to look at it on paper so we can also see a glimpse of the structure of the prayer, since that will also be part of our focus this afternoon. So we'll read the Lord's Prayer as Jesus delivers it in Matthew nine or Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So far, the word of the Lord. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 117. Every Sunday in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of Christian doctrine. And we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 47. That's on page 561 of your books of praise. There the question is, what is the first petition of the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be your name. That is, grant us first of all that we may rightly know you, and sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works, in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. 
Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions, that your name is not blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, over the last weeks we've been focusing on uh, what God's Word teaches us about prayer. Uh, We've seen in uh, a few weeks ago that we looked at the importance of prayer in general in the Christian life as, as the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. That's the words of the Catechism. Or to put it another way, the, the most basic aspect of the relationship with God that we have now as Christians, as people who have been redeemed and reconciled to God. The most fundamental way that we now relate to God is through prayer, and then conversely as God also speaks to us in His Word. Last week we started, or two weeks ago, we started looking at the prayer that Jesus Himself taught us. And we focused especially on the way that the Lord Jesus teaches us to address God as our Father. And how that sets the tone for the whole prayer. We need to know that there is in God a tenderness and a compassion, a love and an interest in His children that far surpasses the best of our earthly fathers. Uh, and so when we, when we pray to Him, we, for our part, want to come to Him as children come before a loving and a righteous Father, uh, because we are His children in Christ. Uh, we belong to Him, and He loves us more than we can ever know. This weekend, and for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking now at the content of our prayer. So we saw the place of prayer, the tone of prayer, and now for the next six weeks we'll look at the content of our prayers, the things that Christ teaches us to pray for and to pray about. Uh, This is important because the things that we pray about to God typically reflect the things that we also most care about. Uh, The concerns that tend to weigh on our minds and fill our hearts are typically also the concerns that we bring before God. And so Jesus, when He teaches us how to pray, He also teaches us what concerns ought to live on our hearts and in our minds. So I want to start by asking you to reflect on your own prayers. What are the things that you most often pray for or pray about? What fills most of the time in your prayers. And this can be true of your own private prayers, also your prayers with your family. What things do you most often pray for or pray about? When we look at the Lord's Prayer, we can see that it easily divides into two halves. And that's why I had us read it so we can see it on paper. We can see there's, there's very clearly two halves to the Lord's Prayer. The first three petitions are your name, your kingdom, your will. And then the last three petitions are our bread, our sins, and our temptations. Uh, there's your, 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 our, our, our. Uh, So we could say that the the first three petitions are about God's goals and purposes, and the last three about our needs. God's goals and purposes and and our needs. There's there's the one difference between the two halves. We can also sense a difference in character 
between the first half and, and the second half of the prayer. And what I mean is this, the first half of the Lord's Prayer has to do with big, majestic, global realities. Uh, the, and the second half has to do with small, humble, private realities. So the first three petitions are, uh, number one, God, let your name, your glorious name, be lifted up, honored, praised in all the earth. It's a big, global prayer. Secondly, God, may your kingdom come into this world, your heavenly kingdom. Let it be here on this earth. Let it fill this world so that all people everywhere will honor and praise you and serve you as their king. Again, a a big, a global prayer. And third, God, may your will be done. And, And the emphasis is very obvious. Where should it be done? On all the earth. How should it be done? Just like it is in heaven. And may all people, in other words, be so transformed by the knowledge of the gospel that their hearts are changed. They do your will everywhere on earth. Big, global realities. And then the last petitions are our daily bread. Very humble. I need bread today. Otherwise, I'm not going to make it through the day. Or the fifth petition, Father, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness or I know I will never have peace. Or the last petition, Father, I'm also weak and frail. I need your help with my temptations. My struggles are too great for me to handle on my own. So help me. Keep me from temptations that are too strong for me. You sense a difference in the character of the first half and the second half of the prayer. There's the big, the global picture focused on God's purposes, God's goals for the world. And then there's the second half of the prayer that's small and humble and focuses on our own needs, our own struggles. And in a way, the the Lord's Prayer in this way is reflective of of the Christian life. In fact, it's reflective of of all life. Life has its moments that are big and majestic and glorious and, and transcendent and eternal. Those moments where you've taken a hike up into the mountains and you're staring off into the stars and you see how big the universe is. Life has those moments. We're taken away by all the majesty around us. And life also has its moments that are small and mundane. Uh, We have to make breakfast. We have to wash our clothes. We have to take care of paperwork or or shovel dirt around. Uh, the, The majestic and the mundane are mixed together in the Christian life. And, and this is the way that God has created the world to be. And you see this also reflected in our prayer. And let me ask you again, coming back to the question, what are the things that we most often pray about? Well, I think for most of us, the things that we pray most often about, I've taken a poll in my catechism class to confirm this suspicion, the things that we most often pray about tend to fall in the second half of the prayer. Our needs, our struggles, uh, and so forth. And the one that takes the, the spotlight most of all is probably the fourth petition, uh, the category of our daily bread, which includes traveling mercies, um, health, sickness, the health of others as well, prayers of intercession for, for healing, for sickness, those things. Uh, 
These are good things to pray for, obviously, because the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray for them. So we should make them part of our prayer. But we should also notice when the Lord Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer as a model for our prayers, that they are not to be the only thing in our prayers. We should not only pray for the fourth, uh, for the matters of the fourth petition, but we are also to remember not just the other two of the second half, but also the first three of the the three petitions of the first half of the prayer. The greater things, the global things that more often than not tend to get left out. And this is, uh, I want you to see that this is what we need. Each of us needs to be praying for our own well-being, to be praying these first three petitions. Now you see, when the Lord Jesus gave us this prayer, and He put these petitions first at the beginning of the prayer, it's a reminder for us that we so badly need for ourselves that our lives are bigger than ourselves. See, when we only pray the second half of the prayer, our world becomes small. We get tunnel vision around our own needs or the needs of, uh, of our loved ones and, and our own struggles with sin and our own temptations. And those are all things we are to pray for. But Jesus here calls us, by putting the first three petitions first, calls us to step back every time we pray and remember, God has global picture has a global picture in mind as well. If all we do is pray the second half, we miss out on the larger picture that our lives fall into. See, our world does not revolve around us and our needs, but actually we belong in part of God's larger story for the whole world. Uh, the the goals of God are the glory of His name, the coming of His kingdom, the doing of His will on all the earth. And my own needs, my own struggles, my own sins, and the forgiveness that I need for them are part of that much larger global picture. And, and so when Jesus taught us this prayer, He's inviting us and teaching us to get caught up in the glory of the first three petitions. These larger realities that are part of our lives. It's okay to have time to get caught up in the glory of God's kingdom, God's will, and God's name coming to this earth. And we should, and it is liberating to do so. It's liberating to know that uh, whatever the end may be of my particular struggles, they form a part of something much bigger than me that God is doing in me, around me, and through me. It is liberating to remember that my life is not all about me. And so the Lord Jesus puts these petitions first. Now, if we look at these, these two halves of the prayer once again, Something else we should also notice is the relationship between these two halves. They are not uh, disconnected uh, prayers. And, and the relationship is this. The second half of the prayer about our own needs, our own struggles, and the sins from which we need forgiveness, the second half is there to serve the purposes of the first half. Uh, why do I want my bread? 
so that I may work for the glory of God's name, the coming of His kingdom, and the doing of His will. Why do I need forgiveness for my sins? Because otherwise, I can never have peace with God, and I will be fruitless in serving the glory of His name, the coming of His kingdom, the doing of His will. Uh, The second half serves the purposes of, uh, of the first half. In other words, the, the reason that God has put me here on earth for which I need this bread, this forgiveness, and this help with temptation is to glorify His name, to participate in the work, the labor of building His kingdom, and to see to it that His will is done by me and by all those with whom I have influence. Uh, so we, uh, the Lord Jesus put the first petitions first, not only because they are the larger picture, but also because they give the context for the individual needs that we have. God has His mind on these global realities, and it should be our prayer uh, in our individual needs to have these things for the purpose of serving God in His global realities. We saw something of this a couple weeks ago too when we talked about what happens when we pray and we looked at Nehemiah as his uh, particular concern was on the, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. But as he laid his concerns before the Lord, the Lord's concerns became his. And you see it even in his prayer that it starts as a prayer for Jerusalem and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, but it turns into a prayer confessing sin and asking for forgiveness because he realizes this was the cause why the city fell apart in the first place. So as we also pray for our bread, for forgiveness for our sins, for help with our temptations, it is God's purpose that as we pray those things, His concerns about His name, His kingdom, and His will would would, uh, become our concerns. Let's turn then to the the first petition, which is, Hallowed be your name. I learned in catechism that the word is hallowed, not hollowed. That's how we say it out west, I guess. Uh, But it is hallowed, which makes sense. Names can't be hollow. To hallow, though, is not a a word that we use very often. It's a King James-era word, and it simply means to set apart as holy. Uh, You can see something of the word holy there in the word hallowed. Uh, in the Greek, in, in Matthew 6, it's actually the same word that's very, used very commonly in the Bible that simply means to sanctify. Uh, so, it's the same word that, uh, where Paul talks about sanctification. Um, it's the same, same word there. So, you might also say, instead of hallowed be your name, you could say sanctified be your name, or even simply holy be your name, or may your name be set apart as holy. Now, uh, when we speak of God's name here, uh, we are referring to God's honor and God's reputation. Uh, So all through Scripture, the Bible talks about God's name, and there it is always referring to the the reputation and the honor of God. Uh, For example, Psalm 8, verse 9, the, the psalmist declares, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now that doesn't mean that the the name Yahweh is itself so majestic. What he's saying is, how majestic are you in all the earth? How majestic is your reputation in all the earth? Uh, 
And that's what this prayer, this first petition, is all about. It's a prayer that God would be honored and adored by all people everywhere on earth. In other words, it's a prayer that that God's glory, that everything about God, His wisdom, His beauty, His goodness, His worth, would be on display for the world to see and that the hearts of every human being would be captivated by that glory. That people would love, would come to know who God is and then as they know Him, would come to love Him and would desire to praise Him. That is our, our first petition. And after all, if we reflect back on, on the Ten Commandments that we looked at a few months back, isn't that ultimately the purpose of life itself? That God's name would be hallowed. That God would be glorified. Isn't that what God created us for in the first place? To know Him, to love Him, and to live with Him in order to praise and glorify Him. Uh, As the Presbyterians put it in their uh, first question and answer, uh, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? And it is that very enjoying of God that does glorify Him. You glorify that which you enjoy. And that's the very reason then for our existence. It's the reason why God created us. So we would come to know Him, and as we know Him, love Him, and as we love Him, live in relationship with Him in such a way that He is honored and glorified. That's the reason why God created us. That's also the reason why God has saved us in Jesus Christ. So that we, as we saw this morning, who were once alienated from God, estranged from Him, no longer knowing Him, would once again come to know Him again, to love Him and to live with Him. So God created us for this purpose, and God saved us for this same purpose. So it shouldn't come as any surprise that this is the first petition, uh, because this is the most foundational purpose for our very existence. So it ought to be the deepest prayer of our hearts. We ought to desire and love and strive for nothing more than that God's name would be honored and lifted up in our lives, by us, and also around us, because of us. Uh, So the Lord Jesus put this petition first, because when this petition comes first, then the whole rest of our lives begins to make sense. When we know that we are here for the glory of God, then everything else that we do begins to make sense. So, when we look again at the prayer as a whole, we can say not only do the last three petitions serve the purposes of the first three, but in fact, the last five petitions serve the purpose of the first petition. Why do we long for God's kingdom to be established here on earth? Because by so doing, His name would be honored. The heart of God's kingdom, God's kingdom exists wherever hearts are transformed and where people come to know and love Him. And they, be, they, they, they undergo the transformation from estranged, uh, estranged enemies to adoring worshipers. That's the very heart of God's kingdom. It goes right back to the first petition. Uh, same thing for the, the third petition. Why do we long for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? 
Well, because when people do God's will, they discover God's amazing wisdom, glory, and excellence. In fact, it is the will of God that we would come to know Him and love Him. So that too goes right back to the first petition. And the whole prayer then is rooted and grounded in this first petition. That's what we were made for, and that then should be our heart's deepest desire. Uh, now, when, when we pray this prayer, hallowed be your name, if we stop and think about what is it that we are praying would happen, we're praying in the first place that God would hallow His name. It is a prayer directed to, to God. So it is a prayer that God would go forth and cause His name to be honored and lifted up. But the Catechism rightly directs our focus, even though our prayer is to God, uh, the Catechism directs our focus on how God hallows His name, hallows His name, first of all, in our own lives. Uh, now, that doesn't mean this prayer is restricted to our own lives. It is a global prayer, but it begins right here in our own lives, in our own hearts, and in our own homes, and in our own church. Uh, And so it is our our deep desire, whenever we pray this prayer, it's our desire that God would be honored, first of all, right here at home in our own hearts. Uh, We were made for His glory. And it should be then our prayer that before anyone else, before we think of anyone else and how they ought to be glorifying God, that God would begin that work right here at home. That He would be honored in my own heart. That I would hold Him in highest esteem and that that would be visible in my life. We want our lives to be a reflection of the worth and the glory of God. And and so the catechism interprets the phrase beginning with the focus right here on us. So it says, grant us first of all that we may rightly know you, sanctify you, glorify you and praise you in all your works in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Uh, So the thing we pray for is in the first place that we would hallow God's name ourselves, uh, that our lives would be oriented to his glory. And you notice in in the answer that the catechism gives, it, it says, grant us first of all that we may rightly know you. You cannot praise or glorify God without first knowing Him. Uh, I made the point at camp this week as well. I asked the kids, how many of you love my sister? And none of them did. And it wasn't because they were an unloving group. It's because none of them know my sister. The same is true of God. We cannot love the God that we do not know. We must know Him First, So, if we are to, to see this petition come to fruition, become a reality in our lives, it begins with us being in the Word of God, coming to know Him. Because the more we know Him, the more we will love Him. Uh, so, I want to finish this afternoon by, by simply reflecting on the question, how can we participate in the hallowing of God's name? If we've learned from the Lord Jesus that this ought to be our heart's first prayer and deepest desire, how can we advance this global cause in our own small lives? Again, the first part of the answer has to be by knowing God ourselves. If we want the whole world 
to honor, to revere, to lift up the name of God, then it must begin with us. And if we are to honor and revere the name of God, it must begin with knowing who God is. That we will only love Him when we truly know Him. Now, this is why the Catechism speaks of God's works and praise you in all your works, it says. Uh, because how can we come to know God? Uh, the main way is by hearing His words and by seeing His works. And the, way that we, uh, and the way that we come to know the works of God is also in the Word of God. As we read His Word, beginning all the way in Genesis, through the salvation of the Israelites and the works that God did in, in their times, to the works that Christ did, we come to know the works of God. And the more we reflect on the wonders that He has done the mighty things. How many psalms uh, cry out proclaiming the mighty works of God? The more we come to know those works, the more we come to know our God by them. We know God by His works. Uh, You will never learn to glorify God and honor Him with all your heart, uh, which is what you're praying for when you pray this prayer. That will never happen unless you spend time in God's Word, hearing His words and seeing His works. When we know what God has done for us, and we spend time meditating on the significance of that, like we did also this morning, there we come to know who God is, and there we will come to love God for who He is. There we see, as the Catechism mentions, His almighty power, as well as His wisdom, His goodness, His righteousness in Jesus Christ and His mercy towards us who belong to Christ. There we come to know who God is. Uh, And so the more we meditate on on God's Word and and then respond to that Word uh, in prayer, the more we will begin to see this prayer, this petition, become a reality in our lives. His name being lifted up, hallowed, and honored in our own lives. By the very action of spending time in God's Word, we make this prayer a reality. Uh, So the first part of the answer then to this question, how can we advance the glory of God's name, is by getting to know God ourselves. And we do that by hearing Him in His Word. The Catechism also talks, though, about how we advance the glory of God also by our lives. Uh, we, we, We know that Our lives as Christians are to be a reflection of the character of God. The Lord Jesus taught us, Let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Right back to that first petition. They will glorify Him when they see you. So we recognize there is some connection between our lives as God's people and God's honor, the honor of God's name. So when we pray this prayer, hallowed be your name, we ought also to think about our own lives. Does my life bring glory to the name of God? And as the Catechism puts it on on the negative side, may it never be that my life should be a cause for dishonoring the name of God, but rather that God would use it to bring glory and honor to His name. Uh, What happens is that when when we come to know God, the more we come to know Him, inevitably, the more our lives will reflect that knowledge. It becomes impossible 
for others not to see it as we, uh, when, when we know Him. Uh, for example, the more we come to know the, the holiness of God, the absolute holiness of God that is, uh, that where He is set apart completely from sin, has nothing to do with sin, the more we know that, the more seriously we will take our own sin the more unacceptable it will be in our own eyes. And the more we will then confess our sins as we recognize them. And as that happens, it cannot but happen that others will also witness something of the holiness of God in our lives. In fact, most of you have, have experienced this already when you observe how, how seriously someone else, perhaps within this church, how seriously someone else Uh, takes the holiness of God, you cannot help but begin to take it more seriously yourselves. Now, for for some unbelievers, this will make them upset. Uh, The Apostle Peter acknowledges this. This is 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 3. And he says, this is even why Christians are often persecuted. Uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 3. The time is past... Uh, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised. There's that encounter with the holiness of God. They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and so they malign you. There's a reaction to an encounter with the holiness of God through the lives of individual Christians. The reason that some will malign you and the reason they want you to fall, and those of you in universities or in trades uh, experience this very often, where they want you to fall, they want to see you fail, is because they hate the knowledge of God that your life brings them in contact with. It makes people uncomfortable but it brings people to the knowledge of God. And when that's accompanied also with words of grace that bring them to the knowledge of the gospel, then that witness might also bring them to the saving knowledge of God. But either way, God uses our lives to bring people to the knowledge of Himself. And He is honored by that no matter how people react. That's why Jesus says, They will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven regardless of who they are. And of course, it it isn't only our knowledge of God's holiness that has a a sort of resonating, automatic impact in our lives. It's also our knowledge of God's mercy towards us. The more we know of God's mercy, the more that reflects in the way we treat others. We are merciful towards others because we have a God who's been merciful towards us. The more we know God's mercy, the more humbled we are, the more gracious we will be. And that too, that too brings those who don't know God face to face with something of the character of God. Uh, So that they they are not just confronted then with the holiness of God, but also with the mercy of God. If all they know is the holiness of God, it only stands to condemn them. If they know of the mercy of God and they hear it, in words, uh, as, as it is given to us in Jesus Christ, then they will also come to a saving knowledge of God. Uh, so, so when we know God's mercy, we ourselves learn to be patient 
and merciful with others. And when we are that, others see through us the patience and the mercy of God. Now all of that, whether it is our lives demonstrating the holiness of God or our lives showing the mercy of God, all of that serves the ultimate goal of hallowing the name of God. Through our lives, the name of God may be lifted up and honored so that people would come to see how worthy, how precious, how excellent, how good, how righteous, and how merciful and gracious He is. So, brothers and sisters, let this be your heart's deepest prayer as well. Don't don't get caught up only in the last three petitions as you pray, but take the time as Jesus invites you to be called up into the majestic glory of the first three petitions and especially of the first. Remember the reason that God made you, to, to know Him, to love Him, and to live with Him for His glory and honor. And pray then that God would bring you all the, all, all the more to the knowledge of, of Himself, so that through that knowledge He would also deepen your love, and through that love He would deepen your praise and deepen your reflection of His glory to others. May this be our heart's deepest prayer, that God would use us in His greatest global cause of advancing the honor of His name. Amen. Let us sing together in response from Psalm 148, stanzas 1 through 4.